Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 128 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero, from Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Before we get into news and notes, wanted to give a quick shout out to a new Patreon supporter. We have John Stubbs. Thank you so much, brother, for joining the team. Guys, if you want to check out our Patreon page, it's patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing. Whether you feel like just tipping the show because you appreciate uh, the, the material that we have up here, or if you just want to support the channel and everything we're doing, you guys who follow my work, you know that although I work in association with a lot of different platforms, including Boxing Monthly Magazine, but also Ring Magazine, Undisputed Champion Network, NBC Sports Radio, et cetera, et cetera, I'm not really exclusive to any one platform. We're completely independent. We're a freelance operation. So if you guys want to help us out, do anything you can, please check us out on Patreon. Of course, if you want to email me, MonteroUnboxing at gmail.com. Even if you just want to email a question or something, that's totally cool. But if you're interested in getting a t-shirt, an MOB t-shirt, please hit us up. And yes, I hawk this stuff with no shame because, again, we are a completely independent freelance operation. And more than anything with the shirts, man, I just want to get the name out there of what we're trying to do. And I, I love that you guys rock the shirts. We sold a few more last week uh, on several different continents, man. And that's just so amazing to see you guys sending me pictures of you working out, you know, at the gym with the shirts on or rocking it at fights, you know, out with your, uh, with your friends at a fight or something like that. Uh, we get pictures, we get tweets you guys rocking the shirts from all over the world it's truly an amazing thing man last but not least i'll remind you guys to go over to apple podcast find us on itunes stitcher soundcloud give us a rating a review subscribe to the neutral porn neutral corner podcast i almost said neutral porn <laughs> oh freudian slip maybe uh, okay let's get into news and notes guys So we're in the dog days of summer, right? There's not a whole lot going on on the boxing schedule, but there's enough to keep things moving along before we get to some of the bigger matches coming up starting late next month. But for news and notes, Canelo Golovkin, which I've spent a lot of time talking about. I'm a little burnt out on it, but I'll just mention this because it, I guess it's worth mentioning. There was a lot of talk on social media last week. No face-to-face -face media events for Canelo and Golovkin during the buildup for this fight. They're not gonna be together in the same room until fight week. And I think maybe I talked a little bit about this last week or in a rant video. I actually don't mind that. I think that's gonna help build up tension and everything else. Apparently HBO is gonna do a 24 seven, which they can do separately with each fighter. Me, I like the 24 sevens to a degree when it's a new face. But what can Canelo and Golovkin say that they haven't said already? Now, I know, of course, they could talk about the suspension, the delayed fight, the clenbuterol thing. But if you follow the sport closely and if you listen to this show, which is the fringe of the fringe, then you do follow the sport religiously. You already know all that stuff. So what are they going to say in 24-7 that you don't already know? That's just the way I look at it. But I understand a lot of you guys like those shows. So... You're still going to get your 24-7, but you're not going to get a face-off. You're not going to get the press tour that a lot of the promoters do. And as I've told you guys before, the press tours are expensive. And they don't always make the most sense. This fight already has all the promotion it needs. 
to go, let's say, to Los Angeles, to New York, to Las Vegas, and maybe to Mexico City or something, do like a four-city press tour for this fight, that costs a lot of money. If you're Golden Boy Promotions, you're, you're the lead promoter, you're spending money to do that, you don't just have to rent a venue and everything. You got to feed the media, and you, there's usually giveaways for fans and everything like that. It's expensive. And then the fighters themselves got to fly out there and go through the whole thing. They already did that for the first fight. For the original rematch that was supposed to happen in May, they just did one press event in Los Angeles. And that's literally all you need. It's the Los Angeles is the media capital of America. And it, when it comes to the boxing scene, absolutely the capital of America. Do it there, right? That's all you need to do. And that's all they did for, for the, the, the second round. And then, you know, we know what happened since then. So now that the fight's back on, do you really need to do that? I don't think so. So Team Golovkin had a little press event, a small little invite-only thing last week at the Palm downtown, which has great stake. And Loeffler always does press conferences there. It's a shame I couldn't get out to L.A. for that. It just didn't make sense for me to fly across the country for a free stake. But I used to love going to those events because they really, really hook it up. Uh, anyway, they did that, and you're probably going to see Team Canelo do something similar through Mexican media down there. And you're going to see him kind of do their regular shows and media stuff. There's just not going to be a press tour. And honestly, guys, again, what could these two guys do at a press tour that you haven't already seen between the two of them? They're, they're, these two guys have already fought. Everyone who bought the first fight is going to buy the second one. There are people who didn't buy the first one who are now intrigued because of the buildup and the, the animosity between the two sides that will buy the rematch. But this isn't Mayweather-McGregor. This fight isn't marketing to casuals and, and ignorant fans who just came to the sport and don't know what the hell they're watching. Very, very different demographics, very different crowd that Golden Boy and, and I was going to say K2, but it's actually 360 now, are marketing to, right? They don't need to do a press tour. And for us guys in the media, I can tell you right now, the press tour, a lot of times, other than getting some free food if it's close by and getting some interviews with the fighters and stuff like that, and maybe getting some inside information that's off the record, just that, that we can know personally. Um, other than that, they're kind of a waste of time. I mean, for me, for a guy with a YouTube channel, I know sometimes you guys like to see that stuff, but most of those things are streamed now. Weigh-ins are streamed. Uh, the, the media workouts, a lot of that stuff gets streamed. And there's a million and one kids with cameras out there filming that stuff, throwing it all over social media. So it doesn't always make sense for us to go. You get past a certain point where you just don't need to go to that stuff anymore. Anyway, enough about that, okay? Let's move on to some other news. Advendil Kurtzize, remember him? This is a guy who had a couple of good wins, and last year was set to face Billy Joe Saunders to fight for his middleweight title. And then he gets arrested as part of a RICO case. And basically what it is, is uh, there's a crime boss in Brooklyn. I'm not sure if the crime boss is Russian or if he's Georgian, but it's a former Soviet bloc country this dude is from. Uh, I don't think he's really high up in the world or anything like that, but in his little neighborhood of Brooklyn, he's a crime boss there. And... Kurt Seize was apparently an enforcer that worked with this crime boss. So that's why he was part of this whole RICO thing. When they do a RICO case, they arrest everybody. All right. 
I'm just telling you guys as someone who knows, who's had friends that were part of RICO cases who literally, I, I had a couple of friends that were brought in for questioning and stuff and arrested for things. And all they did was hang out at like birthday parties of a dude. They bring in everybody. But it sounds like Kurt Sizey literally was connected to this dude and worked as an enforcer. Anyway, they found him guilty on one count of racketeering conspiracy and another count of wire fraud conspiracy. So this dude's going to jail for a while. Talk about screwing up a career. What a moron. That's all I got to say about Kurt Sizey. All right. A fight that just came together, Jaime Munguia versus Liam Smith. It's official July 21st, Hard Rock Casino in Las Vegas. And of course, this will be for Munguia's WBO junior middleweight title that he just won off Saddam Ali, May 12th. Liam Smith was supposed to fight Saddam Ali. And I thought that Liam Smith had a, a pretty good chance in that fight, but I probably would have picked Ali, maybe to get a decision Possibly controversial, but eke out a close decision. We all saw what happened. Ali was just steamrolled by Munguia, right? So Smith apparently had an allergic reaction and had to pull out for that fight. Now he gets a crack at Munguia. This is going to be interesting. Smith is a tough guy, always gives his all. He's a true 154. Ali wasn't, but I just don't know how many shots he could take from Munguia. I do think that he has the natural size of a 154 fighter and more experience and skills, at least at that division, that will help him against Munguia early. But I think Munguia is going to chop Smith down. Remember, Smith fought Canelo Alvarez in Texas. I believe that fight was in uh, Arlington, which is just outside of Dallas at that big stadium the Cowboys play at. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's where Canelo fought Liam Smith. And he eventually chopped Smith down. But Smith had moments against Canelo. And I think Canelo let him kind of tee off. You might see a similar situation here where Smith has a few moments against Munguia. But I think Munguia is going to chop him down and stop him in quicker, more decisive, more devastating fashion than Canelo Alvarez did. On the same date, July 21st, the biggest, best matchup of the year is going to happen in Moscow. Oleksandr Usyk, Murat Gassiev, Yes, Gassiev is Russian, it's happening in Moscow, but it's not as if Usyk is from London or Mexico City or something. He's from Ukraine. And I know, yes, th th there's some political stuff going on in that part of the world and not totally copacetic. I get that. But I don't think that this location helps Gassiev so much over Usyk. I still like this matchup. In fact, I love it. And I've gone on record many times and I'll continue to say because no one else in media is talking about this and it, it, it upsets me to a degree. This is the biggest fight in the history of the Cruiserweight division. Period. Bottom line. End of story. Cruiserweight division was created in 1979, the year I was born. So I've always been partial to it because I'm a natural cruiserweight, number one. But number two, it's just as old as I am. And in the history of the division, not even 40 years old yet, there's been some great fighters that have just kind of passed through. We've never seen two guys in a tournament like this completely unify all the titles. Both of these dudes are in their prime. I would say Usyk's definitely in his physical prime. Gassiev, we don't know. He might have more to him. He's such a young guy. But both of these dudes are going to completely unify the division in a global tournament. They've fought 
all the top contenders to get here. We've just never seen anything like this at Cruiserweight. It's a big deal. More people need to be talking about this. ESPN Plus, that app, could possibly pick up this fight. I hope they do. But that hasn't been confirmed. We'll see what happens. I hope that Richard Schaefer and the Sourland group, they can get that done. It'd be smart to get that on the ESPN Plus app. If they make that happen, guys, that app costs $5 a month. And again, I feel like I'm shilling that app every episode of this, but uh, of my show, but $5. And you're going to get the biggest, best matchup in the history of the Cruiserweight division for $5 freaking dollars and i know a lot of you have been bitching about that app that fight is worth 60 dollars an annual subscription to the espn plus app so think about this think about the value you're getting if Usyk gassiev does go to espn plus and from what i'm told there is a greater than 50 percent chance it will go to espn plus if you guys have heard otherwise any of you uh over in that part of the world let me know but that's what i'm hearing from, from good sources, not just crap on boxing scene, but actual good sources that I trust. Think of the value for that fight versus what you're getting on HBO. And I'm going to put it out there too, even Showtime. Showtime is giving you awesome value for your money. So is ESPN, the network. But man, no, this is the biggest matchup of the year so far. And you're going to get it for $5. All you guys have been talking trash about that app. I don't hear you complaining much anymore. Anyway, we'll see if that happens. Either way, if you got to catch a stream of the fight somewhere, whatever, that's an amazing matchup, obviously. And I still don't know who I'm picking in that one. I got to think about it some more. But man, that's, that's only, what, six weeks away? That's a big fight, man. I'm excited for that one. Some other fights coming together. The IBF has mandated the mandatory fight for Artur Bedabiev. He has to defend his uh, light heavyweight title against his mandatory Callum Johnson. If they can't strike a deal by June 26th, that'll go to purse bid. And the WBC apparently has mandated a fight between Adana Stevenson and his mandatory Oleksandr Gavajdik. Purse bid by July 2nd. So both of those, you know, of course, Baturbiev Johnson, Baturbiev's big in that fight. But... Stevenson Gavajdik, that is an interesting, interesting fight. We've seen Gavajdik down, Stevenson can still crack. We've seen Stevenson down, and Gavajdik isn't very powerful, but he's very accurate and a pretty damn good counterpuncher with some crafty little angles to him. So I really like that matchup. That's a big, big matchup. Of course, that's probably going to go to Montreal. Let's hope the WBC makes that happen. But if that fight happens this year, think of the second half this year, guys. You're going to get Usyk, Gassiev. You're going to get, finally, Canelo and Golovkin again. We might get Stevenson, Gavajdik. That's a nice second half of the year coming around. And we got some other matchups with the Superfly 3 card and everything that are coming together. Not bad. Really, really not bad. And remember, a lot of you thought that 2018 was going to be a complete shit year. I got to tell you, man, we also might get uh, Anthony Joshua versus Oleksandr Povetkin over the second half of this year. 2018 is shaping up pretty damn good, in my opinion. All right, one other rumor of a fight coming together. Yamaguchi Falcao versus Demetrius Andrade. Uh, Falcao's trainer reached out to me, and he told me that 
That's coming together for July 21st in Las Vegas on HBO. We'll see. I've heard a couple different possible venues and dates for that potential matchup, but nothing's official at the time I'm recording this. If that fight comes together, that is a good, solid middleweight fight. And the winner of that fight really should be in line for a title shot. Falcao is only 15-0 with seven knockouts, doesn't have a lot of pro fights, but Brazilian Olympian, right? He won the bronze in the 2012 games over in London. And a lot of people forget he fought in the World Series of Boxing. I can't remember exactly how many fights he had. It might have been about 10 fights. But those are basically pro fights, man. So you could really look at it like this guy has 20-something odd fights, just, just as many fights as Andre. Andre's 25-0, 16 knockouts. 2008 American Olympian. The thing about Andre, five fights since 2013. You heard me right. In the past four years, five fights. The way these two match up, Falcao is a shorter, squatter guy, 5'9", 74-inch reach, though. Andre Taller, 6'1", but the same reach, 74-inch reach. They're both 30 years old. They're both southpaws. Now, Andre isn't the most exciting guy. This will obviously be a technical type of match, but I think that's a good, solid middleweight scrap. And I'll tell you this, the winner of that fight has done more than Sergei Derevyanchenko or Jamal Charlo have done to wiggle their ass into mandatory positions. So anyway, that's it for news and notes this week, guys. Let's get into the review of what happened last week. Friday, June 22nd at the Masonic Temple in Detroit, Michigan on Showtime. This was a card from Dimitri Salida. Remember him? He's running a promotion group now. And he does some shows. I think he, they call him the Detroit Brawl. He does some shows in Detroit. He does some shows over in Brooklyn as well. Anyway, in this card, it was a really uh, basically a, a female doubleheader. There was an opening bout, but this was about Christina Hammer and Clarissa Shields. This was basically a preview for their super fight, proposed super fight, later this year. In a co-main, Christina Hammer wins a unanimous decision over Tori Nelson as she defends her WBC and WBO middleweight titles. Hammer's now 23-0, 10 knockouts. 10 knockouts for a female fighter is pretty good. Uh, she's turning 28 this August, so she's still fairly young. She's been a pro since 2009, so she went pro pretty early on. 5'11", 71-inch reach. She was a Kazakhstan native, born in Kazakhstan, but is living and fighting out of Germany for pretty much her whole career, I believe. She's held titles for years now, but against very limited opposition, mostly in Germany. She's mostly fought in Germany. She's fought in a couple other countries, but mostly in Germany. This was her first bout in the USA. And I know Salida recently signed her, I think late last year. So I don't know if the plan is to get her fighting in the USA more, or if they eventually plan to go over to Europe. But she's headlined cards in Germany, She's also fought as either the co-main or on the undercard of some big fights over there, like Brady's Huck, uh, Abraham Stieglitz was a pretty big fight over there, and Klitschko Pineta. Now, Pineta, you know, mandatory defense, but that was a Klitschko card, so you're talking tens of thousands of people. So she has fought in front of massive crowds over there. She's definitely way more of a brand over in Europe than Clarissa Shields is here in America. Shields in the main event won a unanimous decision over Hannah Gabriels. And Gabriels, it's, it's Gabriels with an S on box rack and box stats and everything. But 
I've seen it also listed as Gabriel in other places. So I'm not sure if it's Gabriel or Gabriel's and either, either way. Clarissa Shields was dropped in the first round, but pretty much won every round after that. Wins the vacant WBA, IBF, middleweight titles. And Shields is now 6-0 with two knockouts. She just turned 23, so she's really still a pup, right? She came down in weight for this fight. She's won titles at super middleweight. But honestly, to me, she belongs at middleweight. Uh, she's a little husky. She's, a little, she's got a little meat on her. She could probably cut weight. To me, it looks like she could even get to 154 if she really wanted to. Been a pro since 2016, five foot eight, 60 cent, 68 inch reach out of Flint, Michigan. And apparently um, some guys from Flint did get down there to that fight in Detroit. I'll, um, you guys have asked about the Masonic Temple in Detroit. Apparently the big room there, you can fit up to 3,800 people in. But the promoter for this show, I know they scaled it down to 2,400, and it was nowhere near sold out. So at best, they had 2,000 people in there, but I don't, even, I don't think it was anywhere near 2,000. They had well over 1,000, though. But that lets you know the scale of what Shields is doing. Most of her fights have been at the MGM Grand in Detroit or there at the Masonic Temple, and she's fighting in front of about 1,000 people. And again, with Hammer, she's fought in front of tens of thousands, several times now but this fight you know it was interesting to see gabrielle's with a with a good counter shot in the first round i think it was an uppercut that caught shields good on the chin it was just a little tap it wasn't a big punch it was more or less because shields was off balance but she got clipped and it was almost a delayed reaction when she went down she came back fought well but you know just looking at her technique it's not very good I think she relies a lot on natural size and strength. Pretty much everyone she's fought, she's bigger than. I mentioned her going down in weight for this fight. Gabrielle's moved up. She's the 154 champ. She moved up. I think Gabrielle's had a kid last year. Pretty damn impressive for a woman who had a child last year to get back in fighting shape and be fighting a year later. That's pretty damn impressive. But either way... Um, you know, Shields has relied so much on her natural just size, and she does have some explosive athletic ability about her, but she's relied completely on that to just overwhelm opponents. What's interesting is in six pro fights, she only has two stoppages. Um, I don't even know if she scored a knockdown yet. Maybe she has. She's busted some girls up, but I don't see very good boxing skill out of her not elite level boxing skill. I see someone who's gotten by with their size and strength and some natural explosiveness they have, but I wonder how she's gonna look against somebody like Christina Hammer, who, look, Hannah Gabriel's, and she's a sweetheart. She's, she's a pretty lady and she's a sweetheart. You know, you can't help, if you ever talk to her, she's just a nice, sweet lady. Um, but she has some skills, she has some craft, and she showed it here and there, but she was more or less down the stretch of that fight just trying to survive and she's not as skilled as christina hammer nor is she as tall and naturally uh, strong and athletic as hammer is maybe maybe as athletic maybe possibly more athletic than hammer but definitely not as tall and long and nowhere near as good of a jab as hammer has so this matchup this potential shields hammer matchup to me before, I just would have picked Shields to plow right through her, but I've been thinking about this. 
I'm a lot more interested in this matchup now because I think that there's, there's some clashes in terms of the styles and the way these two fight that I think it would be pretty interesting. For Shields, she's working with John David Jackson right now. And John David Jackson is a very nice man. He's a good guy. Super, super nice guy. If you guys ever see him at a fight, he will stop with you. I've seen him stop and take pictures with people and talk with fans. But he concerns me as a trainer that just goes through the motions and gets his fighters in shape. I don't know if he's a guy who teaches people how to be better fighters. I haven't seen that from him. And I don't know if Shields working with him is the right thing. Jackson is a guy who will work with fighters who like to do things their own way. We all remember how he went out, you know, the whole situation with Sergey Kovalev went between John David Jackson and Sergey Kovalev. And I'm not saying it's the exact same dynamic here with Clarissa Shields. I just don't know if he's going to teach her that much more. We'll see. Maybe he will. She did use a nice jab toward the later rounds of this fight, but nowhere near the jab, again, that we saw from Christina Hammer, who's very fundamentally sound. A little too straight up and down, a little too stiff, and I think that's going to cost her against Shields, ultimately. But early on, can Shields, can she get past that jab? That's what I want to know. Anyway, we'll see what happens there. But uh, for Shields, remember, her pro debut was on the Kovalev Ward 1 card. And that was in Vegas. But since then, I think she's pretty much been fighting on these small shows in, in Michigan. And for the HBO broadcast crew, the, you know, when the show started, they talked about Shields and they called her, and I'm paraphrasing, it's not an exact quote, but they said, one of the most popular figures in boxing. What the hell were they smoking? She's not. She's not one of the most popular figures in boxing. Maybe in the Detroit area, you could say that. She's pretty much the only thing they got going right now. But one of the most popular figures in boxing isn't fighting in front of about a thousand people with some discounted tickets to get people in there. So the thing about Shields, man, her personality just kind of rubs people the wrong way. We've talked about this before, guys. But after this fight, she was calling herself the greatest female of all time. That's stupid. If you want to say, I want to be that, you know, if she said, I want to be one day the greatest female boxer of all time, okay, but she's calling herself that. She was calling herself that during fight week, in interviews and stuff like that. She's not even the best female fighter right now. She might wind up being that, but we've talked about Cecilia Brekus before. She's the most accomplished female fighter right now on the planet. And I'm not just talking boxing. I'm talking all martial arts. Cecilia Brekus is far more accomplished than Ronda Rousey ever was in terms of just accomplishments in the ring or quote-unquote in the cage, right? So for Shields to even go there, Shields isn't even as accomplished as a pro as Christina Hammer is. And then after the fight, she got into an altercation with Hammer. Now on Twitter, Shields claims that Christina Hammer called her a biatch. And that's why she went off. I didn't hear that. I know people that were right by the ring who didn't hear that. I know some officials who were there working that card who didn't hear that. But maybe Hammer did call her a biatch. And I, I'm saying it like that because that's how Shield spelled it on Twitter. But even if this girl called you a biatch, 
Shields invited her into the ring and then gets in a scuffle with her. It just looked really stupid. It just it just wasn't the way to do it. And if you saw Hammer after her fight, of course, they interviewed her and said, do you want to fight Shields? She's well, yeah, I want, I'm interested in this fight. I want to see who wins the main event. I want the winner. She wasn't classless and, and just shitty about it. Shields just, I don't know if she thinks she's more important than she really is. Because, again, in Flint, in Detroit, that is a depressed area. There's not a lot of sports stars coming out of that area right now. Not a lot of entertainment stars, period, coming out of that area, especially Flint. So around Flint, Shields is kind of seen as this big celebrity. She's a big deal around there. But on a global scheme, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to, not even a global scale, just in America, she's not a, a big figure. So I, I don't know, man. It just the rhetoric that comes out of her versus what she really means in the marketplace just don't match up. If these two fight, it should go to Europe. And I'm not saying that because of any political reason. It's just economics. The tickets for this fight at the Masonic Temple in Detroit were 35, 50, 75, 125. And for VIP ringside seats, $300. Again, it was scaled down from $3,800 to $2,400, and it was nowhere near a sellout. Christina Hammer and Clarissa Shields fought for all four of the middleweight titles. They couldn't sell this thing out. Over in Europe, I'm not suggesting they do a crowd of 20000 for a, a Hammer-Shields fight, but they could probably do a sizable crowd. It'd be a decent promotion. And it'd probably make Shields a hell of a lot more money to go over there and do that fight. I think that's where the fight should go if it happens. And Europe, especially Germany, has a much deeper, richer history of female boxing than the United States does. Think about it. Some of the best female fighters of all time, including the, the most accomplished one right now, were out of Europe. So that's where that fight should go, man. One little rant about female boxing, because, you know, I can't help myself before I move forward here. Guys, this fight, again, I can't not see it. It's a championship fight. It's 10 rounds. The gloves, the gear they're wearing, and the two-minute rounds, it just comes off looking like an amateur fight. I've been to a million amateur tournaments. When I go to an amateur tournament and I see 15-year-old kids fighting, I, want, I don't mind the shorter rounds. I don't mind the bigger gloves. I don't mind the refs being a little touchy and being really quick to stop a fight. They're kids. It's the amateurs. It all makes sense. Even for Olympic boxing, it makes sense. But this is the pros. You're trying to market yourself as a professional. This is a championship fight. It should have the exact same rules as male fighting. Now... I know that female fighters have to wear a sports bra. I get that. But I believe Hannah Gabriel was wearing like a t-shirt almost. Look, It just looked like a shirt in this fight. And I've seen a lot of girls do that before. I'm sorry, but you should have to expose your stomach. And I'm not talking about this in a sexual way. I'm talking about it from a professional athlete way. A male boxer, if he slouched off in camp and he's got a little skin in his tummy he's got a little beer gut rocking he's got a rocket he can't hide that shit he's got to go into the fight showing his beer gut it reveals what he looked like in camp 
But a lot of female fighters can wear these things where it's a borderline dress, skirt kind of thing, covering everything up. You're a professional athlete. Get your ass in shape. Lose the gut. And you should be in there wearing nothing but trunks and a sports bra. And that's it. That's all females should wear. Glove size and all that should be the exact same as guys. And 12-round championship fights, three-minute rounds. I'm sick of this bullshit where we, we treat the female fighters with kid gloves. It, it doesn't make sense. And one of you guys told me this on Twitter. UFC female fights have the same rules as male fights. Maybe that's part of the reason why UFC fans, their biggest events involve female fighters half the time. That's like the most popular fights for them because they're fighting under the same damn rules as the guys. So boxing needs to do a better job with this. And females, if you want equal respect, do the equal work. You're not doing the equal work of male fighters right now. And I'm going to go on just on the record and say that. You might be doing it in training camp and everything else, but come fight night, you're not doing equal work of what the men are doing. Period. Do the equal work. And maybe you'll start getting equal respect. All right, Saturday, June 23rd. We had some action from all around the world. In France, Tony Yoka scored a 10-round TKO over David Allen. Look, Yoka, heavyweight medal or medalist at super heavyweight in the Olympics, right? 26 years old, six foot seven, 82 inch reach, 240 pounds, looks good on paper, has all the credentials. But just based on what I'm seeing, I don't know if I'm seeing the next Vladimir Klitschko or Lennox Lewis here. Maybe he can develop into that. Not seeing it right now. Just not seeing it. In Scotland, Josh Taylor scores a unanimous decision win over Victor Postal. He dropped Postal in the 10th, needed that knockdown. Either way, though, I think he, he clearly won this fight. I scored at 115-112. The scorecards were horrible. Horrible. 117-110, 118-110, and 119-108. So these judges had... Postal winning one, two, and three rounds in a fight that really looked like a 7-5, almost come-from-behind type of win for Taylor, who defends his WBC silver 140-pound title. Never mind that Regis Progre has the WBC interim 140 title and Jose Car Carlos Ramirez has the WBC regular 140 title. WBC is becoming like the WBA with this bullshit. Three different titleists in the same weight class. I can rant on about that for hours, but I won't do it here. Taylor now 8-0, six knockouts. He did win the fight. The right man won, but those scores were really bad. And if you're going to try to lure some of these other guys over there to fight Taylor from other parts of the world with scorecards like that, they're not going to want to make the trip, even if you throw out some extra money. But Taylor now has wins over Miguel Vasquez and Victor Postal. It says a lot about his management. If uh, Barry McGuian managing him, putting him in there against two guys like that, he only has eight pro fights. That says a lot about what they think about Taylor. He looks like he's the goods, and he learned a lot in this fight. So definitely a guy to keep your eye on. Now in London, O'Hara Davies scored a second-round knockout over Paul Kamanga, his third straight win since the TKO loss to none other than Josh Taylor last July. Also on that card, Anthony Yard scores a TKO 7 win over a Polish pizza boy. He's now 16-0 at 15 knockouts. Look, some of you are really excited about Yard. Really, really excited about him. 
based on what I'm seeing right now, based on who he's fighting, I see Chris Eubank 2.0. That's just what I see right now with Anthony Yard. Got to see this guy step up to at least somewhat ranked opposition. And got to see some craft. Got to see him face a little bit of op- um, opposition. Just just um, some sort of, of, of trouble and turbulence in the ring and have to respond to that before I can get excited about the guy. Daniel Dubois scores a TKO 5 win over a UK ditch digger. He's now 8-0 with 8 knockouts. Only 17 rounds as a pro so far. Very raw, but he's not even 21 yet. He turns 21 in September. He has massive potential just because of the natural tools he has. So, Daniel Dubois is definitely a prospect I'm keeping my eye on, but he's got to get rounds. In the main event of this card, Martin Murray scores a unanimous decision over Roberto Garcia, wins the WBC silver middleweight title in an ugly fight. Back to the WBC. Charlo is the WBC interim middleweight champion. And of course, Gennady Golovkin is the real WBC champion. Again, multiple divisions now where the WBC has not two, but three titleists in the same division. They must be looking at what the WBA has been doing for years and trying to mimic that to get more money. Mauricio Suleiman hates my guts, but I can't help but diss the guy. I tweeted about this this weekend and I copied him in the tweet. Didn't respond, obviously, but this is ridiculous. Three different titleists in the same division. It's just stupid and it undermines the real champ. It, it, the, the guy who's doing the real work. I like Martin Murray. He kills himself to make 160 pounds. He has absolutely no chance against even Charlo at this point. So what are we doing here? Now in Mexico, Miguel Burchelt scores a TKO3 win over Jonathan Victor Barros. Third defense of his WBC 130-pound title. He dropped Barros in the second and the third and it was, that was it after dropping him in the third. The fight was over. Burchelt had a great first half to 2017. Go back last year, the first half of the year. He beats Francisco Vargas in January, and then he beats Takashi Miura in July. I guess technically that's the second half of 2017, but you get my point. Doesn't do anything else for the year. Doesn't do anything else in 2017. Had a, they talked about a potential unification match with Vasily Lomachenko. He ducked that, wanted no part of it. And I guess, you know what? I don't blame him for that. You feel you're not ready for that? Fine. But he hasn't done, he didn't do anything else for the rest of 2017. And his last two opponents have been a massive regression from Vargas and Miura. His last two fights have been in Mexico, not on American television against cab drivers. So what are we doing here with Miguel Burchelt? Now, Barros, who's from Argentina, he last fought last July at featherweight, 126. He was completely shut out by Lee Selby. He sat on his ass for almost a whole year and suddenly goes straight into a title shot at 130, even though he lost his last fight at 126. Goes straight into a title shot against Miguel Burchelt. But this was in Mexico, and this is the WBC. Not exactly the least corrupt 
groups on planet Earth, right? I've been beating up on the BC a lot on this episode, but they're not making it difficult. How the hell do you justify a guy coming off a one-year layoff, a loss in a different division, going into a title match? The Mexican Commission pretty much allows anything. So it's up to the WBC to regulate this shit somewhat. And as you see, they let this shit happen. It just, it, it just baffles me. But that's why this wasn't on American television, on an HBO or something like that. It shouldn't be. Shouldn't have even happened. In Los Angeles, Golden Boy Promotions had a card on ESPN2. In the main event, Virgil Ortiz Jr. KOs Juan Carlos Salgado, Mexican fighter, in three rounds. It was a body shot in the third that did it. It was a very impressive looking win for Ortiz, who is out of Dallas, another Texas guy. I feel like I'm telling you guys every other week that there's a scene happening there, man. He is now 10-0, 10 knockouts, 140-pounder, just turned 20 years old. So much like Daniel Dubois, this kid has a ton of potential. But I'd say he's further along than Dubois. He had a pretty good amateur career. Just the skills and everything are tighter. But this division, 140, after Crawford left, it blew up, right? It, it was completely blown up to bits. But there is some young, up-and-coming talent working their way up in this division right now. And several of these guys are going to be at 147 before long. So guys, the health of 140, really up through 160, right now, shit, 140 up through 175 over the next few years is going to be very, very good, the outlet look in those divisions. But 140, there's a lot of up-and-coming talent there. It's going to be exciting. I just hope these guys all fight each other. Josh Taylor, Reggie's Progre, Juan Carlos Ramirez, at some point Virgil Ortiz, all these guys coming up, and they're at different levels right now, you know. But at some point, if they all fight each other, and they, you know, maybe they won't face each other all until they're at 147. But I'm telling you, those are going to be fun matchups. We got some talent to look forward to in that division. All right, that's it with last week. Let's preview what's coming up this week. All right, this Friday, June 29th in Cancun, Mexico, Golden Boy Promotions is back on ESPN2. In the main event of this card, Rashidi Ellis, who is a 19-0 with 13 knockouts, undefeated welterweight prospect going up against Alberto Mosquera, a Panamanian southpaw with a record of 25-3-2, and, and it's a 10-rounder. It's been fun watching Ellis improve in recent fights. His last performance, he looked great. Let's see if he can keep the ball rolling. Saturday, June 30th, it's a Frank Warren card in Belfast, Northern Ireland, which was picked up by, you guessed it, the ESPN Plus app. Where you at, ESPN Plus app haters? I'm telling you, it's the way of the future. Now, this isn't a very stacked card, but Michael Conlon is making his homecoming. I don't believe he has fought in Belfast yet since turning pro. So I think just for the sheer atmosphere of it, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it'll be worth checking out for those of you who do have the ESPN Plus app. Also on Saturday, Star Boxing as a card from the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. I don't believe this is being televised or streamed anywhere. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I haven't heard anything about that, guys. But in the main event, Joe Smith Jr. Remember him? Fighting in a 10-rounder. Go back to 2016. This guy 
beat Andres Fanfara, came out of nowhere, burst onto the scene with a huge knockout win, and then knocks Bernard Hopkins out of the ring into retirement on HBO. Closes out, that was December of 2016, closes out 2016 as a guy like just poised and ready to really break out in 2017, right? And then what does he do? He sat idle for seven months. Finally in July, he fights Barrera, Sullivan Barrera, breaks his jaw, loses, and now he's been off TV for almost a whole year and he's coming back and fighting at the Mohegan Sun against a nondescript opponent off television. I'm telling you guys, I like Joe DeGuardia as a human being, but they really mismanaged this career. And maybe some of it's on Joe Smith Jr. himself and some of the other people on his team, but I can't figure out how they screwed up such a good thing in such a short amount of time. This guy should have been fighting after that Hopkins win. He should have been in the ring two or three months later back in Long Island and, and milk it and make some money. Didn't happen, and now this dude is back to being pretty much a non-entity again. Funny how fast things could change in boxing. All right, same day, Saturday. The big card is at the Chesapeake Energy Arena in Oklahoma City. Top rank on ESPN, and I believe this is also streaming on ESPN3, which is a website. It's not the, the app. But there's lots of prospects on this card. Mikello Meyer, who is a female Olympian for America. Heavyweight Trey Lippe, who is Tommy Morrison's son. Remember Tommy Morrison? This is his kid who's undefeated and looks a lot like his dad, the way he fights and even his build. And three-time Brazilian Olympian, Olympian Robson Consecao is a 130-pounder. He's on the card. Mike Alvarado, Mile High Mike, is also on the card too. Now, Nicole Main, Alex Saucedo, who's another 140-pounder, born in Mexico but lives in Oklahoma City, fights out of there. He's 27-0, 17 knockouts, going up against an Australian paisan, Leonardo Zapavina, in a 10-rounder. Also, main event, Gilberto Ramirez, putting his super middleweight title on the line against a Colombian fighter, undefeated Colombian fighter, Romer Alexis Angulo, He's 23-0 with 20 knockouts. And, of course, Ramirez is undefeated, 37-0 with 25 knockouts himself. Let's talk about Gilberto Ramirez, Zerto. We've talked about this before, but we'll talk about it again. He beat Arthur Abraham in April of 2016, so that's over two years ago, for the WBO 168-pound title. Pretty much a faded shot version of Abraham to win that title over two years ago. This will be his fourth fight since. Not exactly the busiest schedule for a young guy with a title. He should be fighting more. He's not the most inactive fighter. It's not like he's Demetrius Andrade, but this is his fourth fight since winning that title. So about every six months or so he's fighting, but it's who he's fought. Now he did fight Jesse Hart. They had a good competitive match and Jesse Hart wants a rematch. And guess what? Jesse Hart, Philly fighter, deserves a rematch. They had that close fight last September. Hart has won two straight fights since, both by knockout. Why isn't that rematch happening? That's what we should be seeing this Saturday night, not Ramirez versus Angulo. Ramirez just turned 27. Young guy, 6'2", southpaw, 75-inch reach, 
crazy size for the super middleweight division. He will eventually be a light heavyweight. But right now, while you're at super middleweight, why not make some bigger fights with this guy? The politics and the landscape of super middleweight right now is very, very tough. So top rank has their work cut out for him. I understand that. But top rank doesn't like playing with other promoters. They like to keep everything in house for as long as they can. They're not the only promotional outfit that operates that way. But what is the goal with Ramirez? I don't see a pattern with where he fights, when he fights. It's not, they're not pulling a Gennady Golovkin here like Tom Lawford did, building him up in LA and New York, the two biggest markets in America. No shit, right? With Ramirez, he seems to be all over the place. He's fighting in Oklahoma City right now. I just, I, there just seems to be no rhyme or reason to what they're doing with this guy other than getting him fights. But you're not building up a brand with this fighter. And there is a brand there. And top rank knows what they're doing. They've been doing this for decades. So I just don't quite understand the business plan with Gilberto Ramirez, who obviously is going to win this fight and be 38-0 with 26 knockouts after Saturday night. He's not in the World Boxing Super Series tournament, which I think makes sense. When you look at the politics and the landscape, that super middleweight tournament was a British tournament. And if Ramirez, his goal was to build himself up in the UK in that market, it would have made sense for him to go there. But obviously with the demographics involved, I think they're plan is to market him to the Mexican-American fan base. Okay, we'll start marketing him to the damn fan base. So I get why you didn't go in the World Boxing Super Series. I totally understand that. But what are you doing otherwise? Now, Top Rank did try to get David Benavidez, and I talked about this recently. They signed him to a contract. They gave him a $250,000 signing bonus. He had to give it back, and he returned to Samson Boxing. So... Apparently, when Benavidez went pro, Top Rank passed on him. They screwed up. They screwed that one up. They signed his brother, I think, or his cousin. Uh, they got the wrong Benavidez. And Samson Lefkowitz signed him, and now he's a promoter. He has Samson Boxing. So according to Bob Aram, Benavidez came to Top Rank. He came into their office and said that Samkin, Samson Lefkowitz and Al Heyman, who advises him, weren't doing shit for him. And he was unhappy. And that's when Top Rank signed him. Well, Lekowitz comes back and says, uh-uh, wait a second. I got a contract here that's valid till 2021. And he starts up a lawsuit. So basically, Top Rank says, look, man, we don't want no part of this lawsuit. You know, give us this check back and we're good. And so Benavidez gave him the 250 grand back, boom. Everything's cool. It's copacetic. Samson Lekowitz says, look, back before he was officially a promoter and he was more of like a manager, he discovered Sergio Martinez and eventually sold him off to Lou DiBella. He had a piece of Manny Pacquiao for a while, sold him off to top rank. He had a piece of Lucas Matisse, sold him off to Golden Boy Promotions. He's like, look, man, now I got a promotional company. I'm not selling off David Benavidez. I... I, I I discover these guys that everyone passes over. I build them up. And then when they get a little, you know, a little bit of, uh, I guess, a little bit of momentum and they, they grab a title or something, then all these other promoters want to come in and benefit off my work. So I ain't giving up this kid. I'm going to keep him. 
I get it. Good for him. But how does this affect the super middleweight division? Because obviously, if top rank got David Benavidez, you know what they were going to do. They weren't going to have Ramirez and Benavidez fight next, but they were going to have them fight late next year. They were going to have them fight on ESPN and the ESPN Plus app in uh, the same card or right around the same date, maybe a week or so apart, two or three times, and then put them in a super fight. And it would have been the biggest super middleweight fight probably since, probably since Calzaghe fought Kessler. Now, some of you may, might think that Andre Ward versus Carl Frotch was bigger than Calzaghe Kessler. I would say not, but it, it's right up there. Certainly, it would have been the biggest super middleweight fight since that time, though. And now that's all blown up. I don't know where we go from here in the super middleweight division. I just don't know where we go from here. Anyway, guys, that is it for this week. Share your opinions. Comment below. Like, share, subscribe. Get the word out about the podcast. Thank you to all you guys who support this podcast in my channel and my journalistic work on all the magazines I write for and all the sites and everything. Thank you so much, guys. And I posted a, a video where you can ask questions. We're gonna do a Ask Me Anything seg segment since it's so slow right now in the summer. So get your questions in in the comment section of that video and I'll post those response videos soon. All right, I'll see you at the fights.